Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It was wonderful to stand up in front of those people at the National Book Award and give my little talk. But when the thing was over, as soon as it was over, I took that trophy and that 10 grand and I jumped in my little car and I drove right back home, made myself a tuna fish sandwich, and that was the end of that. I wasn't partying on the floor till four in the morning. I've had that. And it ain't worth nothing. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. You haven't shared sex with him. And need to talk about more. Fine leather goods. I'm Anna Sale. James McBride has a look. He often wears a hat perched atop his head and a big earring in his left ear. He's cool. And the look works with a T-shirt or a tux, like the one he wore at the National Book Award ceremony. The winner of the National Book Award for 2013 is The Good Lord Bird by James McBride. James McBride won the Fiction Award last year for his book about a former slave who accompanies John Brown on his historic raid. Actually, um, <clears throat> I didn't prepare a speech because I, <laughs> I really didn't think I was going to... Um, I didn't think I would win today, but I would like to say that... At uh, first, James McBride uh, was uncharacteristically flustered. Was, uh, but in the ceremony video, I you can see him gather his thoughts as he talks. He goes on for a few minutes, acknowledges the presenter, the other nominees, and gets through his thank yous. And then he takes off his glasses. You know, um, when I wrote this book, my mother died in January of 2010. My niece died a couple weeks later. And then, um, and then my marriage fell apart. But it was always nice to have somebody whose world I could just fall into and follow him around. And that was Onion Shackelford and the good Lord Bird talking about a great American named John Brown. Escaping into his work saved him. But the funny thing is, when James McBride meets new people, he leaves out the book writing part. I don't tell him I'm a writer. I just say I'm a saxophone player. You know, I don't tell them I write books or anything like that. If you tell them you're a writer, let's say, what have you written? And then you got to tell them what you've done. I don't ask a plumber what he does. I just, you know, I, I then I have to explain what I've done. And I, I haven't really, you know, I've just told some stories. Some very successful stories. There was last year's big award. And his first book, The Color of Water, was a blockbuster hit. It's about his mother, a white Jewish woman from North Carolina who moved to New York, fell in love with a black man, converted to Christianity, and raised 12 children in Red Hook, Brooklyn. The Color of Water came out in 1995 and eventually stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 100 weeks. But James McBride says that was a long time ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 minutes ago, much less 10 or 15 years ago when I wrote those books. And also, I just don't want to talk about my work. I mean, I, I don't like a bunch of writers sitting around, you know, just blowing puff and smoke about, you know, they like this book, they didn't like, and he wrote this. And he, Tell me a dirty joke, you know. It's just not my style. I've never been that kind of person. But you're comfortable saying I'm a saxophonist. Well, you know why? Because people don't understand music that much anyway. And you say you play the saxophone, it's great. It's, they ask you where you're playing. And you say, well, I'm not playing around here. Well, when you're playing somewhere, let me know. Okay, and then that and it deflects the whole conversation. 
James McBride is an accomplished jazz musician and songwriter, and he doesn't just play the saxophone. When he noticed that the piano in the studio was a Steinway, his fingers immediately went to the keys. I can't be a creative person if I'm a celebrity. You know, I have to get on the subway and talk to people and, you know, do things. You know, I have to wait for the bus, you know, when it's freezing outside. I have to do those things in order for, for me to... Otherwise, I just, I'm just some guy living in a hot tub or something. You know? When did you realize that? I suppose I realized that about myself when I was a little older. You know, when I, when I moved to Bucks County, I think, Pennsylvania. It wasn't a place for an artist to live. You know. Because it was isolated? No, because it was expensive. <laughs> it was expensive. I mean, you know, just to cut the grass at the place, you know, you have to know, like, meet, you know, you got to you gotta go to 10 different guys to do it. So you end up doing it yourself and heating the place. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be bothered with all that. I mean, I just don't see myself, like, sitting in one of these stone restaurants, you know, at 7 o'clock at night, ordering white wine and discussing the wine, and then we're... You know, and then they, they, ha, ha, ha. You know, that's just some corny shit, man. I can't do that kind of shit. Excuse my language. I just can't do it. So I live in New Jersey now. I live in a little row house. You know, there's a next house next door. I mean, it must have, it must be three families living in the house. That, they're Mexicans. Uh-huh. It must be three families. I mean, it's like Grand Central Station up there. <laughs> they come all hours of the night. But they're good neighbors. And on the other side is a is a single woman. She's She's private. You know, she... At least it's people, you know, people who, who got bumps on their faces and their teeth are yellow and, you know, they smoke cigarettes and do normal stuff. I mean, I, not that you, you don't smoke cigarettes, but, you know, I mean, I have to live in a world of bumps and bruises. I can't live in a world of people, you know, with napkins on the table and everything is, and Brahms is playing and, you know, Beethoven. I mean, there's Brahms and Beethoven, those guys, you can play Mozart all you want and pretend that it gives you class. But what is class, you know? Class is a bus driver on the M103 who gets off the bus to help somebody on board, even though, even though he's tired, he's exhausted, and he's two months behind in his mortgage. That's real class. Yeah. And those are the kinds of people that I really admire and, and try to put in all my work. And that you missed, it sounds like. That I missed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I see now I, I run a music program in my church in Red Hook in the projects where I was born. So I see enough of, you know, and I'm there every week. Can you tell me about that? Like, what is, what is the music program? How long have you been doing it? Just, it? it just, uh, it's just a program where I take, I have eight students now. I just paid for some eight pianos, and I'm teaching them music. We started out with buckets and sticks because I, I didn't have any money last year. I couldn't, couldn't afford to get the, the instruments. And then, um, so we, I just started out with, uh, plastic buckets that I got from the hardware store and some drumsticks. And I taught them rhythm with that way. And then I got a blackboard and I started writing musical terms. And then we, then we, you know, we, we, we'd meet every week. We meet from, from six to eight. And they, I love them. I love them. I mean, these are kids who, who are from the same housing project where I was born and, and lived. And, um, and it's in my, my mother's church. It's in the, the church your mother church. started. Yeah. It's in the church that my mother started. The church is talked about in the color of water. Yeah. My dream is to be an old man living in Red Hook teaching music. That's what I'd like to do. 
And I've only come to that in the last year. You know, if if I could ever afford to do it, that's what I'd end up doing. You know, I have I have kids, and I have you know I have financial obligations that are pretty considerable. But that's what I hope to be an old. If I if God lets me live that long, that's what I'd like to do. You've mentioned money a few times already. So you said when you you didn't have money when you started the program, it was buckets and drumsticks. Did that change with the National Book Award at the end of last year? No, no. Of how my my life cycle my life cycle works on book advances and so forth. Yeah. So no, it didn't change the National Book Award. Like I haven't done another book contract yet. It's just that I have to pay alimony and child support, and I have two kids in college, and they don't have scholarships. So my son has a small scholarship, and I have a twelve year old, and uh, and I'm also taking care of a nineteen year old who I'm the trustee for. Uh-huh. Um, so. I have a lot of obligations and uh, no, I'm not broke. I'm not asking for money. And if I mentioned money more than once, I shouldn't have. I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm well I mean, it's to, part know. of it. It seems like you're being honest about what are the, what's in the texture of your life right now. I mean, you're at a moment. where. Well, I mean, you know, my, my mother died the same year. I, my wife divorced me. My ex-wife divorced me. My mother died and two weeks later. My niece died and then my ex-wife divorced me. And I was broke then for sure. <laughs> and it took me a long time. To, I was, I was, I was in more debt than most people will ever, ever experience. How, how did you decide that you were going to go and start a music program at the church that your mother started? Well, what happened was when my mother got sick. You know, she would always talk about, "Oh, the church is going to close down. What's going to happen to the church?" And and so I, I told her I would look out for the church. I didn't say, you know, mother, you're dying, and I promise you. <laughs> but, but she really loved that church. She loved it. Her whole life is really more represented in that church in some ways than in the color of water. Because she was very religious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even in her last moments, you know, she was, uh, she was reaching out to, to God. You know, when my mother died, she died at home. And uh, even in her last moments, she was reaching up toward the, Toward the, you know, toward the ceiling, toward Jesus, because I, I was just preaching at her when she died. I said, you know, Ma, just, just, Jesus is waiting. Hurry up, you know, because she was. It was time. She know? was holding on, and you were telling her to go. She, you know, she she held on to all her kids who could met, who could who could deal with seeing her pass away. Showed up. And she actually, like, you know, was dying, and then, and and she actually asked. She said, "Am I dying?" You know. And um, it was hard to tell her that, yes, you are. But then she wanted to see my brother Hunter, who hadn't gotten <laughs> he was He was on his honeymoon in Puerto Rico. He got married, and she died like four days after he got married. She waited till he got married. And after she saw him, and she, you know, she went on home. What was her funeral service like? Um, well, she was, you know, funeralized here in Brooklyn in Red Hook. And a lot of people from the neighborhood came, you know. It was a nice funeral. We had nice music. Some of my musician friends came and played. And my brother Dennis gave a long, boring-ass speech, you know. But, you know, Dennis likes to talk, you know. He's a good guy. He likes to talk. And he's the oldest. The oldest. So he talked. Yes. And that was it. You, know? you didn't we, talk? No, no, no. Dennis is the oldest. And he talked. And it was appropriate that he should talk because he knew his mother better than all of us. He'd mm-hmm. been with her. The longest, and um, and then we took her to North Carolina, her body, and we took her body to North Carolina, and we buried her at, next to my father, 
Mm-hmm. And and the only she's the only white person in an all black cemetery in High Point, North Carolina. In High Point. Yeah, because uh, they have like a black cemetery there. And when my father died, all the black people were. And so him, she's buried next to him and his parents. She's buried in the same cemetery as John Coltrane's mother. Huh. So yeah, and that part of it, I, I must say, when when I drove into the because I'd been to that fu- that graveyard many times. When I drove into that morning and I saw mommy's coffin and, you know, in the morning sun, the big silver coffin, it was surreal. It was, it was rough. Um, uh, it was, it was a very difficult moment, but, um, you know, God has blessed her with 88 good years. And, uh, you know, I've learned to live with, with her memory and, I don't go around, you know, crying that she's dead. I mean, I hope to see her in the next life. I mean, I hope, I hope there's a heaven. Before James McBride was a best-selling author, he had a successful career at magazines and newspapers, including the Washington Post. But all that ended when he was approaching 30. I remember when I left the Washington Post, and I was glad I left. Coming up, what made him decide to quit. We have some job news here at Death, Sex, and Money. Our first full-time producer is on board. She's Katie Bishop. She's from Rochester, New York. She plays the cello, and she and her husband have a dog who has thankfully gotten over some early bouts with separation anxiety. What this means is we can do more for you, our fantastic community of listeners. We're just beginning to sketch out our plans, but we're going to start with a Death, Sex, and Money newsletter. I'll tell you what's coming up on the show, what we're reading, and what we're listening to. And I'll get to share more of your incredible emails and stories that fill our inbox every day. You make me tear up at my computer on the regular, and it's time to share more of those stories with you. You can sign up for the newsletter on our website. Just go to deathsexmoney.org. It's in the right-hand column. On the next show, Liam and Marissa. They met in college, they're in their 20s, and they're just getting married. But they've already gone through a lot of change together. There was this very harmful time to me in our relationship where my gut reaction when she wouldn't instantly understand from, like, two words what I was talking about, I'd be like... I'm trans, you don't get it, I'm trans, you're not, whatever. But yeah, that's more what I remember of that time was having this feeling of like... Feeling misunderstood. Misunderstood, constantly. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. When James McBride was just out of college at Oberlin, he went straight to Columbia Journalism School. That led to staff jobs at the Boston Globe, People Magazine, and finally, the Washington Post. Then he walked away. He wanted to play music full-time in New York. I don't know. I I guess I was making fifty or $60,000 a year, which for me was a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And I came back to New York, you know, I I made, I think I made $18,000 the next year. But uh, but I was having the most fun of my life. I was playing on the Bleecker Street. I was playing the... (laughs) I was playing with a blues band on Bleecker Street. That was my main gig. And then during that period, I wrote a song for Anita Baker that made me some money. It was just like, it was just a stroke of luck, really. When you think back on your life, I mean, you've taken some major turns. 
and they've, it's paid off when you've taken a risk. My mother did everything she wanted to do, and she was never sorry. You know, she walked away from an entire beautiful culture. You know, she walked away from, a, you know, a terrible childhood, but she walked away from an entire, one of the great cultures of time. And she walked into African-American life, and she was never sorry. She, was, she died happy. Hmm. And she changed all the time, you know. And, uh, and I think that's probably where, where I get it from. Did she feel comfortable with you leaving your, your full-time gig in oh, Washington? Oh, no. Hell no. no. Oh, she was furious. <laughs> good for her, not good for her kids. Oh, yeah. She danced around <laughs> like an Indian, complete with whooping and everything. When she found out I was quitting my job, oh, she just, I got to the point where I just stopped telling her. But I remember when I quit the post, though, she was really mad. Um, you know, but I told her, I think after, I, in fact, I'm sure of it, after the post, I said, to, I said, Ma, you know, I haven't, you haven't paid my bills in a long time. I take care of myself, and I'm gonna, I, I got to live like I want to live, and, uh, and I'm just gonna do that. You know, I mean, it wasn't like a big speech, but I basically said that, and she said she understood, and she never, she never raised the subject again. You know, she was, she was pretty cool with it. Hmm. She was very happy when the color of water came out, because it showed that I was like a My son's a writer. You know. When you started first making lots of money, when The Color of Water was a bestseller for tens of weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, mm-hmm. did it feel uncomfortable? Well, you know, it's funny. When you, when you write a book that's a bestseller, people assume you're a millionaire. And I'm not, you know. Like, I'm not a millionaire. I mean, I made some really good money the first, you know, like when it hit. And... I have, it's been a long time. I, I haven't made under six figures in, in many years. But there have been times where I haven't made much more than that. Um, especially when I got divorced, man, I, I was cleaned out. I mean, I was just... So you ask me about money. Um, I've always had enough money. I mean, it, it's just, you know, when you owe, like, way into... And I'm not talking about six figures. When you owe a whole lot of money... It's just it's just a horrible place to be, because I don't I don't believe in owing, giving the banks money and all that. I just I ain't to that. So, but how did it feel when the color of water first hit? Oh my, <laughs> honey. It was you know what I knew I was rich when I said I wanted to pay a jeans and I went to the store and I said, you know, give me two of them, oh. give me two of them, and I want those sneakers that my brother Hunter has too. Those red ones with a little stripe on the side, you know. So I did that for a while. And then and then after a while, I, I just totally lost interest in it. Is there something that you look back and you're like, I can't believe I bought that? A BMW, yeah. Yeah, I bought a BMW one time. And uh, I drove the car and it was killing. I loved it. What color was it? It was gray and I bought it brand new. I had a Ford. And this is the thing that killed me. I had a Mercury Marquis. It was a big green car. A floater, it looked like a police car, never got stopped, grooving. It was just like daddy's car. You know, it's like one of them grandfather cars. And you would just float down the highway and you didn't feel nothing. It was just great. And I traded that beautiful car and I got a BMW. And, I, you know, I had I wrote a check for 20 grand. I, I don't know what they, I remember I wrote a check for 20. I mean, I, you remember that. Yeah. But anyway, I drove away in that car, you know. <sighs> Thing was slick. Now I'm like, Shh. Now, I drive a Toyota, 2002 Toyota Tacoma pickup truck, five-speed, 
Yeah, that's the car I drive all the time. And it drives just as nice now as that BMW did when I drove it off the lot and gave that man all, that, all my hard money. So, yeah, that was that was a stupid thing to do. But, I mean, I you know, I'm allowed to make, you know, silly mistakes like that, I guess. What's money if your mind is empty, really? And if I hope that I haven't, if, if I'm giving you an impression I've been talking about money, that money's on my mind all the time, it, it's not. You know, I have plenty. I have, what do I need? You know? I, I mean, it sounds to me like you're in the last, being back in the row house and with the music program in Red Hook, that there's a kind of, this is, this is what your life looks like after a re, reordering and, a, and redesigning what your life was going to look like. I'm, you know, it's very interesting. I'm glad we had this conversation because I never really thought of it that way. But yes, there is a reordering that, a reordering that has happened. And being in a row house and a little humble row house in a little small town and, you know, taking the bus into Manhattan and driving my old pickup truck around and, you know, having my music program in Brooklyn. And yes, it's it's been, I'm, I'm, I can't remember when I've been this happy, hmm. you know. I just don't do stuff I don't want to do no more. And I don't care how much money's involved. I've done it for the money and I ain't doing that no more. And I feel great. I feel great, you know. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, let's just bust it to tears and just eat spinach like Popeye now that's, you know, <laughs> just now that we, you know, mind melded. I mean, uh, you know, how much time do you have in this world? You know, how much time do you have? Are you interested in getting married again? Hmm. I don't know about that, you know. I'm I mean I'm not really that successful at dating, you know. I haven't really had that much luck at it. Um I'm, I'm you know, I'm I'm fifty six years old. I don't really, you know, what do I I don't have anything to say to anyone who's under, you know, fifty. 45 or whatever I mean at, at best you know um I don't know I don't think so I I don't I don't think I I'm not I at this point the answer is no because I was married for 19 years you know and I thought it was a good marriage um I couldn't I, I couldn't go through that kind of pain again the divorce was whew, yeah divorce is painful and I'm not you know busting on my ex-wife she's a nice person very fine woman you know and I hope she's finds a good spouse for herself. But I don't know if I could do that again. I mean, it's just too hard, you know. Also, like, I'm a person, you know, I'm, I'm married to the work. And while I would like to have a, a, you know, a full life outside of the work, between my work and my kids, there's very little time to actually uh, to meet people. And then there's the whole business of like, I just stick with my old friends. I have, you know, several of them. And I'm happy that, you know, when you're young, all you want to do is get laid and all that shit. When you get older, you know, good eight hours of sleep, you know, that work. That's all right. You know, you, it's possible. You adjust. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you, you know, you learn what's important. Love's important. Companionship's important. 
sex is good to have. But if your heart's not full, then, you know, sex is like drinking beer. And that first one's good. By the ninth one, you know, you're poisoning yourself. And um, at my age, I not that I'm an old man. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a young guy still. I mean, I'm told I look very young for my age and so forth. Um, but I, I can't remember a time I've been happier. You know, not looking for someone, not looking for love, just just living good, living whole, strong, you know. And serving. Yeah, well, you could call it serving, but they're serving me, you know. Those kids give me more than I... I used, people used to say that. I'd say, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I get more from them. They get, but they do serve me, you know. When you walk into the battlefield of, you know, what America really needs and say, this is what I'm going to do, it makes you better, you know, makes you better. James McBride's most recent book is called The Good Lord Bird. His most recent jazz album is called The Process, Volume 1. His Thursday night music classes are open to anyone. It's $5 for kids who live in the nearby public housing, $150 if you live anywhere else. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Jessica Miller, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Chris Bannon, Merritt Jacob, and Jim Briggs. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. Death, Sex, and Money is on Facebook. If you like us, like our page. And go on iTunes and tell the world that you like the show in an iTunes review. It helps people find the show. All our episodes are on our website at deathsexmoney.org. And remember, that's where you can sign up for our new Death, Sex, and Money newsletter. I asked James McBride whom he'd like to hear on the show. He recommended Stephen King. He's not considered a great literary talent when, in fact, he is an extremely gifted literary talent. So, you know, just because a cat's not winning the National Book Award, <laughs> like James McBride, <laughs> don't mean... <laughs> you get my drift. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 